At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lungba here at The World Messenger, and I'm inviting you for yet another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. Today is very special for me on so many levels because I have one of my greatest authors that I read his books and absolutely love them that created so much impact actually uh, when I was deciding which trajectory I want to go in my career path, uh, specifically starting my master's degree in leadership and organization and so much more. He not only that is a phenomenal accomplished author, speaker, but he is true go-giver. Today we have a chance to hear uh, directly from Mr. Bob Berg. Bob, welcome. It is so great to be with you, Isabella. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. I know you have a very busy schedule, but it's always a pleasure to have individuals like you of this caliber on our show, because not only you already created your legacy, but you are still creating more at that impact positively humanity. Um, before we dive in on all these amazing accomplishments and things you've been doing besides being authoring some of bestsellers and great content for years and decades, actually, uh, you're doing a lot more, and I wanted to audience a little bit to get to know you uh, behind who is the individual behind all this amazing work. Well, you know, I mean, I just I think I think we all kind of do our own things with our own skill sets and desires, and um, you know, we pursue happiness through our work and through contribution and and feeling we're making a difference in some way. So, you know, mine just happens to be through the books and in different uh, talks and so forth. So really it's, you know, I think it's like really anyone else. We just, you know, we all kind of go our own path. Yeah, since you could find your passion very early on, and obviously not only that your books have been translated in over 30 languages and sold over millions and millions of copies, but it's very relatable, right? The way the, the way you craft in your message. But before you start getting into that, uh, do you mind to share a little, little story about your upbringing? Where did you grow up? And uh, how did you even get into writing? Who inspired you to actually even write? Well, so I was very fortunate in growing up uh, with great parents. So that, you know, that was certainly a good start. I grew up in, in Massachusetts in the, in the U.S. And uh, though I've lived in Florida here for goodness, for about 33, 34 years now, I always say I grew up in Massachusetts, but got down to Florida as fast as I could because it's very cold up in Massachusetts and it's very warm down in Florida. So I really enjoy that. Uh, in terms of writing, it, it kind of happened naturally because I, I went, well, I went from being a broadcaster early in my career uh, to being in sales. And uh, as I really began to study sales and, and have some success in it and eventually work my way up to, to, to sales management and sales leadership, uh, I began to speak on the topic as well, just very informally uh, to people. And uh, 
eventually I just decided to go into a career, a speaking career, which growing up, I never knew there was such a thing. You know, you, you start to learn there is after you've listened to enough back then it was tapes. That's how long ago this was. And, uh, and read enough books and, and so forth. So it was a few years after I was speaking and I, I had, you know, developed a fairly successful speaking business, it took a few years to kind of get that rolling. And, but I was ready to kind of go to the next level and, I remember I was at a National Speakers Association meeting, speaking with a, a few of the older, wiser, uh, more advanced uh, speakers. And they said, Berg, you really need to write a book. Mm. I said, well, why? And they said, because I really had no you know, plans to write a book. And they said, well, it's going to help position you better. Uh, you're going to be able to get more engagements uh, at higher fees and the, you know, the whole list of reasons why we you know positions you as an expert, you can utilize it in your outbound marketing, you know, all the different, and they were right. And, and that's when I wrote endless referrals, which was, uh, and again, this was in the early nineties and it was kind of one of the few books out there on business networking on how to create these mutually beneficial give and receive win-win relationships. But that was back in the day when, you know, now there are hundreds of books on networking and, and they're great. I, I learned from all of them that I read, but back then there were like three and mine was one of them. So that was good because it, it was, it, it was an untapped market at that, at that point. Uh, so that's really how that, that started now after. So I wrote that first book strictly for utilitarian purposes as a marketing tool, but I'd say after that, every book I've either authored or co-authored uh, has been because I felt I had a message I wanted to share and get out there uh, into the marketplace and, and writing a, a book helps you to reach a lot more people than you could do without a book. That is amazing start, starting a journey. And I love how you started early. Uh, and I'm curious how much changed from that first book initially, the networking, in your opinion? I know that we have explosion of social media, but I'm just curious, did, did much change in your opinion? Or do you think the fundamentals are still the same? In, in, terms, of, uh, in terms of what, a book? In terms of networking and in terms of the- Oh, the in terms sales. of, oh, oh, I see, excuse me. Um, I think the fundamentals always stay the same, okay? Now, obviously, as, as we have more tools and there's online you know, media, and social media and, and technology advances, uh, strategies change and, and techniques can change, but the principles stay the same. You know, back when I first wrote Endless Referrals, the, the kind of premise of the, of the book was that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust, okay? It's still the same. It's not all things being equal, people will do business and refer business to those computers yes. they know, like, yes. and trust. It's always about the relationship. Now, with social media, with technology, with a, we have an opportunity to be able to reach out and connect with people that we may never have had that opportunity to reach out to 30 years ago. But you still have to take that and do the fundamentals. You still need to focus. It's always all about them. It's understanding that to the degree that you can provide value to another human being, that's the degree that they want to get to know you, that they yes. will like you, that they will trust you, that, a, a, yeah, that a, a business relationship can take place. 
That is fantastic. And, and it's so very true. And I love that you are highlighting how important it is to go to those basics and fundamentals, because sometimes I'm seeing people are searching that overnight success or, or so much um, attention. But if that attention is not the right attention, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't convert in anything meaningful and deeper. Um, and I'm curious, obviously, from persuasion to go-giving. So do you mind sharing how the Go-Giver series started? Because that's one of my favorites and you have so many themes and topics covered there. So, uh, and, 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 and how did you master that concept of Go-Giving? So, so, you know, again, I would go back to my parents that I just got to watch how they treated people and how they did business and, you know, how they just were. So I had a great example. My co-author, John David Mann, also had a great example with his parents. So we were both very blessed, very fortunate in, in that regard. Uh, as I got into business and into sales, I started noticing that those people who could take their focus off themselves and place it on others, okay? These were the people who had the most sustainable success. Uh, it was, it was really, it was a pattern. Now, you know, you also see people who do things the wrong way mm -hmm. in terms of focusing on themselves, just focusing on the money, saying whatever they need to say to get the sale. Well, we know that's wrong, but do those people ever have immediate success? Sure they do, but it's very difficult to sustain that success by yeah. the same token. There's people who think, well, this go-giver way, yeah, that's great, but that's going to be longer term, not short term. Not at all. It's actually easier in the short term to attain business, doing it the go-giver way. Why? Because, and I, I say this when I speak at sales conferences all over, I say, nobody's going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet, mm. right? They're not going to buy from you because you need or want the money. And they're not even going to buy from you just because you're a nice person. They're going to buy from you because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. So the salesperson who goes in there focused only on getting their money and saying and doing whatever they have to to get, the chances are they're not going to have that sale because that person's going to smell their commission breath as we, you know, as we say, okay, they know they can sense that person. Now, again, all the time, no, but most of the time, however, the salesperson who goes in there and doesn't have to deny their self-interest, they're a human being, but who can put their self-interest to the side and focus totally and completely on providing immense value to that other person. How? By asking questions and listening and discovering what that other person wants, needs, desires, okay? When that person has questions or objections, it's welcoming those questions and objections, letting them know that they're great questions because they need to feel comfortable and going forward with, and then going back to discovering with that person what the actual objection is, as opposed to simply how it manifested in, in what they say, because usually it's, there's a the deeper reason, you know, for the, and working through it in order to advance the sale. So, you know, can a person who's a go taker uh, be successful financially? Sure, there's people who do that. It's a big world, but it's a lot more difficult, a lot more difficult. It's actually much easier and simpler, feels a lot better, and is, a much, and is much more profitable when you're that salesperson who can move from an I focus or me focus to an 
other focus, looking to provide immense value. By the way, this is why John David Mann, my co-author, and I say that money is simply an echo of value. Money is an echo of value. It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means that the focus must be on the value you're providing the other person. Uh, the value comes first. The money you receive is simply a natural result of the value you've provided. That is so powerful. Uh, I love the, the mindset and obviously skill set that supports that. But uh, and right now, the world that we live in that it's been shaken up so much globally, economically, uh, and, and on so many other levels, um, I see people leveraging and utilizing social media, but not necessarily focusing on the value and being go-givers first. So it's such a great, great reminder. And obviously with that in mind, um, as, you, as you're training salespeople and sales team, what trends do you see are right now that really people can take opportunity of? Because everybody wants to sustain either their small enterprise or uh, help for companies to continue to survive and then thrive. Not everybody's in the thriving space because we have so much change on that chessboard, right? So many moving parts. And, and some things that could be very easily actionable, what that would be in your opinion? Well, you know, I, it's such a brilliant question. It's wonderful. And, I, and I, I think it really comes down to what the Stoics said a couple of, year, a couple, a couple of years ago, a couple thousand years ago in their writings. And, and that is, you know, their basic premise is control what you can control, but do not be attached to what you cannot control. In other words, as we say in modern day terms, live in the solution, not the problem. Now, is that always easy? Of course not. <laughs> okay, but you know, let's face it. There are things that you know when the pandemic hit, and as things are still happening, and you know, right now there's a little bit of a surge in this, and and you know, so we don't know what's happening, and there are are things that we have no control over. We simply don't have control over. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore those things. Successful people live in truths. We acknowledge them, okay? We assess them, but we don't focus on them. Mm. We don't stay attached to those. Instead, we kind of move over and say, okay, I know what I can't control, okay? What can I control? What can I do? How can I provide value to others in the best way possible under the circumstances? And when we take that approach, now we're opening ourselves up to being able to receive that wisdom. And it might be internally, it might be from getting together with a group of people, it might be seeking out a coach like yourself, who's so good at being able to, to, to help people sort through these things and take their business to the next level. So there's all these different ways, but it's only when we detach from the problem, again, not, not natural to do, not always easy. <laughs> but when we do that, and we look for the solutions, now we're, we're creating that benevolent context for success. Yes, um, I love it. Thank you for sharing that because I feel like we always seek the truth in complexity when actually it's very simple, right? And, and, and usually it takes very simple steps, uh, but in also consistency to make that happen. Yeah, perfect. Exa exactly. Yes, 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 yes. And, and I love the way you share this, like you're taking all of those complexities and distilling them in a way that is so relatable, not only your books, obviously, but the way you also speak and share that. So I just Thank want to uh, say kudos for that. So thinking about 
we're having adversaries right now and happening. Mm -hmm. And then how do we turn those adversities into allies? Obviously, you wrote a book about that. And I'm really intrigued because right now with magnitude of that, everything is changing on the global scene and our own little local environments, right? That we're part of. Uh, how would you approach or, or, or recommend someone to approach it? Because so, oh, people, excuse me, I'm so sorry. No, no, no. I just want to say people are seeing that on personal professional levels. So if you don't mind, just kind of give us holistic overview, it would be great. Sure. So, yeah, adversaries into allies. And by the way, our, our fourth book in the Go-Giver series, The Go-Giver Influencer, was based on adversaries into allies, which is the how-to aspect. So, so the basic premise is this, okay, that, that when it comes to influencing others, and, and what is influence, right? I mean, that's where you got to start. What is influence? Well, okay. on a very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. Now, that's the definition, okay? But, you know, I've never believed that that was the essence of influence. You know, Isabella, I believe the essence of influence is, is pull, pull as opposed to push, right? As in the saying, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is, well, not very far, at least not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers never push. They don't push their ideas on people, push their will on people, uh, push themselves. They're not push E, right? You never hear people say, wow, that Tom or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people, right? <clears throat> They'd say she's influential. She has a lot of pull with people. That's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. And again, they do this through, through, through pull. Now, how does that pull manifest itself? It kind of goes back to understanding that again, people aren't going to allow themselves to be influenced by you for your reasons. It's going to have to be their reasons. So the that what we call the genuine influencer uh, ask themselves questions such as, how does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their goals? Yes. How does it align with their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I'm asking this other person to do, how does it align with their values? What problems or challenges am I helping them to solve? How am I helping them to get more of what they're looking to accomplish? How am I helping them to achieve happiness? You know, what have you? Now, I think that when we ask ourselves these questions, Isabella, and we ask these questions thoughtfully, intelligently, genuinely, authentically, right? Not as a way to manipulate another person into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment to our ideas and influence can take place. One of my great mentors, she's a wonderful, wonderful woman by the name of Dondi Scumachi, best-selling author. She uh, does mentorship and leadership teaching for companies all over the world. I love what she says about this. Dondi says, uh, when it comes to leadership and influence, compliance which again is, is kind of force, it's manipulation, it's threat, it, right? You know, which you see so often in, 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 in the world today, you know, it's insulting, it's shaming, it's, it's uh, the top-down kind of management where it's, right? Okay, she, she says compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Wow. Yeah, it's, if, if a person's not committed 
to your idea, which happens after they already commit to you. Yes. It's just not going to be long lasting. So now we say, okay, that's influence. Now, what I would say is genuine influence takes it even a step further. To me, that's getting the results you want when dealing with others, okay, while making them feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Mm -hmm. And we do that through controlling our own emotions, mastering our emotions. We do that through stepping into their shoes and, and doing that how? By, again, understanding them by asking questions and listening. We, we, we set the proper frame of, of, of uh, whether it's friendship, win-win, dual prosperity, however you want to call it. Uh, we do this through uh, communicating with tact and empathy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we do this by not being attached to having to be right. In other words, we never put being right ahead of the truth. Mm -hmm. And when we do all these things, what it does is it first of all, opens up that other person to our ideas, because they know we're not looking to make them wrong and us right. We have an idea we're sharing, but they know we're seeking truth. We're seeking win-win. We're seeking everyone's benefit. Okay. And they're much more likely to not be defensive, to not, you know, put up blocks to, right. And, and so when we do that's really in a, you know, in a nutshell, what genuine influence is all about. Wow. That is so powerful. And I love your take on influence because I'm seeing again, so many people are talking about influencer on social media or influencer on whatever. Uh, but I feel like it's always with the brand specifically driving because oh, of the yeah. sale purpose or because they think if they have magnitude of followers uh, that it is going to convert into sales just by looking great or, or, or whatever but if it's not again that personable uh connection as you said uh, and it's no connection there and no trust there you, you just put on it doesn't last it doesn't convert it doesn't bring anything to the table yeah and you know it's it's funny too when we talk about influencers you know online like on um you know instagram or something or TikTok or, or some of those things well it, it shows how you know, principles remain the same, even though things change. Uh, you know, I mean, on TV, we always had commercials and there were influencers, you know, had an actor who, who said, you know, you should buy this aspirin. Well, <laughs> who thinks that this actor, but by, based on being a professional actor, understands anything about what goes into aspirin or how it makes it, you know, why that brand? Well, they're an influencer. They know that the advertiser knows that they, that, that, because we like that celebrity, right? He or she will influence more people to buy that aspirin. It's the same thing. It's just a different medium, <laughs> you know, when you think about it. And so, so yeah, I mean, it's a difference between a, a paid kind of, you know, uh, influencer in terms of how many, you know, views or how many, you know, and, and how like they are, as opposed to how we need to do it. Those of us who are not celebrities need to do it when we're dealing with people who it's going to be because they know, like, and trust us, and thus are much more open to our ideas. So very true. Um, do you mind sharing a little bit now your perspective around the go-giver leader? Because uh, leadership, you on, on the Legacy Leaders show also. Sure. To me, uh, <laughs> leaders have a tremendous opportunity to create a legacy or live the legacy as, yeah. as they are still alive, obviously, and create sure. 
and you're a perfect example of that. But we're also seeing a lot of issues now that influence translates into leadership and vice versa. And I would love to see your take on, but um, with current state of leadership and uh, leadership traits and gaps and skill sets uh, and mindset and everything else, um, I would like to just discover a little bit from your perspective. Well, I mean, I think the great leaders place other people's interests first. I think they, they, it's, it's not about them. It's always about the people they're leading. It's, you know, it's about their team members. It's about their customers. It's about the company itself. It's about uh, making a difference. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you've got the difference between positional leaders. John Maxwell often talks about positional authority, right? And that is, well, this person's vice president of this. Okay. And so everybody has to do with that. That's compliance. Okay. That's a positional. It can they, can they, can that person influence a bit? Well, sure, but it's compliance. So at best, people are going to do exactly what they're told and not one bit more. Uh, mm -hmm. At worst, they're going to find a way to sabotage the situation completely. Okay, that's, uh, that's positional authority. Now, when you have moral authority, and that means people know, like, and trust you, they respect you, they bought into you, right? Now that's a different type of leadership. That's a different type of influence. That's a type Dondi Scumachi, which he talks about in terms of commitment as opposed to compliance. So I think that happens because, well, because of the leader, the leader himself or herself is focused on the other person. You know, in the classic Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, and there was so much wonderful <laughs> wonderfulness in that in that book yes i think yes. the thing that that really affected me the most that touched me the most was where he talked about the difference between level four leaders and level five leaders which were the best now here's the interesting part there was virtually no difference between the level four and level five leaders in terms of talent they were both very very talented very good at what they did but the level four leader it was kind of about them you know that was that celebrity leader almost that's the one who wanted the spotlight this is the one who wanted the credit when things right yes. and then there was yeah. the level five leader who was humble who who in you know who built built their leaders into leaders who put the interest of the company before themselves, who put the interest of their team before mm -hmm. themselves, who, what John David Mann and I call, they giving leadership, okay? It's a, which is a noun and a verb. It's giving leadership. It's a type of leadership. Uh, it's one in which you're focused on, on the value you can give to those you lead. And it's also a verb. It's giving them the spotlight, okay? It's giving them leadership. It's giving them that opportunity to learn and to grow. And those were the level five leaders. You may not have heard as much about them because again, they, they didn't make it about themselves, but they were the most respected and the most loved and the most successful. I love that distinction. And I remember that book and also companies that are being highlighted and at the time how they examined who led so well. And it's interesting since then, how many of those companies, not only they were very influential and in, in forefront of Fortune 500, less Fortune 10 or 15, and, and where they are today and how many of them actually get comfortably uh, with where they are and, ah. and, and they've lost not only reputation, mm -hmm. influence and status. And I feel like the, a lot of, of that 
you know, when you reach, people don't understand that they need to nurture it, right? So yeah. what, what, what do you think it's your take on that? Because we're seeing hugely now in just in US landscape change and around that, so. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's human nature, right? You start to get very comfortable with your success and you get a little too comfortable with your success and the bureaucracy starts to happen and this, it grows on itself. I'll tell you a wonderful book that I read. It's probably my favorite leadership book of, of all time. And it's called Everybody Matters. It's by a gentleman by the name of Bob Chapman, who is the CEO of uh, chairman, uh, chair and CEO of uh, Barry Waymiller, which is a manufacturing company, huge, huge company. And they have done such a magnificent job of making the company about the employees. Mm -hmm. and, and here's an interesting story. And I'm going to kind of mess this up a little bit because I haven't read the story in a while, but I want to share it because I thought it was when Bob first started he he ran the company like how he was taught in college you know it's about the bottom line and it was about this and it was about the, the you know bottom line's important but that can't be your first that can't be the or, or else the bottom line's going to suffer it's, it's got to be the value you bring to everyone that's what makes the bottom line but but he that's how he did it because that's how he was taught and the company was successful but it had its ups and downs okay he attended a wedding one day. It was his best friend's daughter's wedding. And at the, at the wedding, the father of the bride, his best friend, the father of the bride made a toast to the groom, welcoming him into the family. And he, and during the toast, he said, you know, the, the woman, the young woman you are marrying is the baby that my wife and I brought into the world. We loved her. We nourished her. We raised her. She is our precious, precious daughter. Okay. And at that point, Bob Chapman, listening to that toast, had an epiphany. He said, you know, at Barry Waymiller, we have tens of thousands of employees. And every single one of those tens of thousands of employees is somebody's precious son or daughter. And it's our responsibility to treat them that way, to nurture them, to help them. Now, lest you think that that's just some feel-goody type of thing. I know you don't think that, but lest one thinks that, no. Yes. This company's profitability has been through the roof. They have gone through the downturn in the economy a couple times back in 2000, and they did things that, that people said, okay, what are they going to do now? Now that things are, are they going to stay with their values or are they going to, nope, they did exactly what they, what they professed. And they kept their team, their family together, and their company is just a magnificently profitable company, as well as a very, very functional one. Such a powerful story, and I love that example, because people think it's impossible, right? So it's like, because they don't see uh, the leadership exuding that and showing and leading the way. Right. Mm -hmm. And when they try to do, it's also related very much so to the culture. But when you have that fantastic leadership that reflects that great culture and consistency in that, that it's preserving it, uh, the magic happens. And you're spot on because disengagement is extremely high, performance is extremely mm -hmm. low. Uh, and, and, and how do we navigate all of that and, and make things better? Uh, because as you said, people are on individual levels suffering and we don't even know where their pain is, but unless we care and show that we care, 
that we will never be able to provide the support that they need in order yeah. for them yeah. to be the best they can in their working environment. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you so much. Absolutely. So I'm curious, with all these books that you wrote, uh, what is coming next? What, what are you working on currently? And I'm sure pretty soon we'll be speaking stages opening and, and more of the opportunities to uh, speak. But I'm, I'm just curious, what's in the works that you can possibly disclose with us? <laughs> uh, well, I have no books coming out, but uh, my business partner, Kathy Tajanel and I, and she's so brilliant. She's such a wonderful partner. Um, we have a, um, uh, just lost my train of thought. We have a, um, online, uh, membership community. We actually call it a mentorship community because we all mentor each other, but it's, it's, uh, called the go-giver success Alliance. Wow. And, uh, yeah, it's really so much fun. And so we're building that and we just are loving it. We love all the people who, who are our members. And uh, we meet every Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock Eastern time. And we have a video call where we all strategize and collaborate and build relationships. And it's just a blast. And it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. Kathy and I also have a certified go-giver speaker program. We have people all over the world that they license the intellectual properties. It's always funny for me to say intellectual properties because I would never be the type to, <laughs> that one would think has intellectual properties. But, uh, but actually you too. <laughs> it takes yeah, a moment to sink in. And so, <laughs> and so they, you know, they license that and we teach them how to have a successful speaking and coaching business and so forth. So we, that, that's what, what Kathy and I are doing, but, but not writing any, any books. John, my co-author, he's always writing books. So he's, he's got a bunch of things going on. But I love, I love what you do uh, talking about here. So mentorship community. Yes. So uh, please tell us a little bit more because as you, as you see, yes, mentorship is very important. Yeah. Uh, a lot of, a lot of organizations don't provide that internally and, and frankly don't know how, or they're extremely overwhelmed. Yeah. And in times in crisis, as you know, it's challenging and, and where people can go and what they can do. So uh, it mm-hmm. sounds like a very uh, mastermind driven uh, collaborative yeah. approach. Yeah, um, it, and that is what it is. And, and what's really cool about it is that we've just got, you know, we've got very successful people, entrepreneurs, salespeople, corporate people, you know, that, that all get together and we have these calls, uh, these Zooms, and it's on video and everyone shares. And then someone will have a, an issue that they're going through, okay? And you'll have, you know, five or six people, boom, who just have the, you know, who know because they've been there, they've done that. And that's why we say it's a mentorship community, but I'm not really the mentor, I'm the guide, you know, I'm the host, but we all, you know, kind of go back and forth and it's just, uh, we, we kind of, it's like every call amazes ourselves uh, ourselves even more because of all the sharing, because you've got a whole bunch of people operating as go-givers who are all looking to bring value to everyone else. So uh, yeah, it, it's just a, so you know, people can learn more about it by going to Berg, B-U-R-G.com. And when they scroll down the page a little bit, they'll see a few people having coffee uh, at Rachel's coffee, by which if you read The Go-Giver, right, you know what Rachel's, you know, the Rachel's famous coffee. So they're having, uh, so we call it our virtual Rachel's Cafe. And I uh, love it. I love it. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. I will definitely make sure that I get that uh, link uh, on on this episode so that people can find you and learn more about that. Absolutely. So it seems like go giving never stops, never ends and just keep going, right? (laughs) That's the plan. Definitely. 
So with everything that you accomplished, what is in the bucket list, Bob? I mean, I'm curious, uh, what would you like to see uh, happening still uh, in the next five to 10 years? Uh, in terms of business, there's not really a, a bucket list type of thing I have uh, other than to do more so of the things that we're already doing. So we want to build the Go-Giver Certified Speaker Program even even more and have even more people, you know, spreading the word about the book and speaking on on the the philosophy and so forth. We want to have, you know, continue to grow membership for the the, um, the Success Alliance. And uh, really, so it's it's not a bucket list in terms of what we haven't done. It's kind of just more so of what we have done. That's brilliant. And on personal level, any trips, uh, any any achievements that you they're waiting to just to happen? Well, personal level, I'm I'm really trying my best to to you know to help the world see where uh, the way animals are are treated um, and the way there are so many factory farms in which animals are brought up and really live a torturous, horrendous life. We would like to to see those just done away with forever and uh, not be you know eating formerly living things that have to suffer a brutal brutal life and so that's a big cause of of mine. And uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that's on a personal level, though that's not a business level, but that's something I give a lot of my time and attention to. Are you supporting any specific organizations? Because uh, obviously all the great leaders have the cause and causes that are involved in and charities that they support. So I'm curious, which one do you do support? Well, there, there, there are three. I mean, I support PETA. Um, I also support a local uh, shelter that I used to be on the board of directors with. Uh, and then there's a woman in... Um, there's a woman in India whose name is Ankita, who devotes all her time to feeding the street dogs and cats of India where she where she lives. And we yeah. try to get her as much support as possible, as much financial support, because she basically does it by herself with a couple of friends. And, uh, you know, and that's what we try to to direct the dollars to and excuse me and so forth. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we are with that for right now. That is so powerful. And I'm so glad you shared that because again, uh, makeup of great leader and their DNA is um, that giving heart and just being a go-giver, it's kind of automatically, as, as that it's automatically happening. But a lot of times we don't see what holistic approach or look of that leader and who that individual is. And you definitely exude that. Oh, um, thank you. And my question to you is obviously, as I mentioned earlier, you already accomplished a tremendous legacy, obviously with written words, with books, with things that can be passed on future generation that are so, again, relatable on the human level, that will never age or expire. Um, what, what, what would you like to be known for? What would you like your legacy to be about, though? I think as an encourager. I think that's really what I am. You know, I, I, I think if, if it can be said that Bob Berg helped people feel genuinely good about themselves, that would be, you know, the, that would be how I'd like to be thought of. That's fantastic. And any other things that you would like to share that I didn't have a chance to ask you because I have so many more questions, but I want to make sure you share um, either great advice for others that are struggling from all of those things we're talking about, uh, and diversity, um, a poor influence or 
poor leadership or not be able to sell well or not be able to really figure out who they are, what would you recommend? I think I would end with some advice that was given to me about 40 years ago by, a, 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 I would say, a mentor, even though I only met him like once or twice. And he saw me as a struggling salesperson uh, that he saw me, I think, is like Joe in the story and the go-giver, right? He saw me as a young, up-and-coming, ambitious, aggressive, but very frustrated salesperson who was focused on himself, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, Berg, he said, if you want to make a lot of money in sales, he said, don't, don't have making money as your target. Your target is serving others. Now, when you hit the target, he said, you'll get a reward. And that reward will come in the form of money. And you can do with that money whatever you choose. But never forget, he said, the money is simply the reward for hitting the target. It's not the target itself. Your target is serving others. And the main lesson I received from that, Isabella, is that great salesmanship, like great leadership, is never about the salesperson right? Great salesmanship is never about the product or the service, as important as that is, okay? Great salesmanship, great leadership is always about the other person. It's about the value you choose to bring another human being. It's about another person's life being better just because you are part of it. And I think that when we start from that premise, if you will, now we're nine steps ahead of the game in a 10-step game. That is so powerful. And if you don't mind, how you break that value, how do you create a value or mission earlier? You ask the right questions, right? What they need and then offer servitude for them to uh, get that accomplished. But I'm curious because everybody's talking about creating value, creating value that gets to the point that is being so abstract and detached for actually what the value should be all about. Well, we have to know, just like when we defined influence, we have to define value, right? And value is different from price, which is a dollar figure. Value is the relative worth or desirability of a thing, of something to the end user or beholder. In other words, what is it about this thing, this product, service, concept, idea, health, advice, what have you, that brings so much worth to another individual that they will willingly either buy or engage with or follow or what have you, right? So we need to remember that value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not what we think is, a valuable, is valuable about our product or service or idea or advice or what have you. It's what they believe is of value. That is brilliant and such a huge distinction. And I think very few people can really get that. And I see a lot of struggle. Um, I remember also some of the early struggles that I had because again, it's like, oh, I know they need this because I'm seeing where they're, they're struggling. But reality, if it's not connecting with them, even though they do need it, they will not necessarily um, connect with. So it's such a huge, huge lesson and huge distinction. Well, thank you so much. It has been just absolutely a joy speaking with you and being on your show. Thank you so much for having me. I just uh, love the work you're doing. I love your spirit and I love who you are and I, I love what you're doing. 
Thank you. Likewise, and for everybody that is watching and listening, do you mind just sharing one more time where they can find you and they can also get in contact with you um, and learn more about your masterminds and everything else. Thank you. It's just very simple, like like me, very simple. Berg, B-U-R-G dot com. Wow. Definitely very simple. Thank you so much and have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.